0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Turn to Acts. We're going to look at a few things this morning, and, and I'm going to cover quite a bit of ground. <laughs> so, and the reason for that is because it's a kind of a tale of two cities, or a tale of three cities. You've you've heard of that book, and and in this particular uh, section in Acts, it's a tale of three cities. There, it's very clear. Paul's on his second missionary journey. Uh, it's very clear that there's a comparison being made, there's a pattern being formed, walked in, when it comes to Philippi, when it comes to Thessalonica, when it comes to Berea. And I want to take some time to look at that this morning. And I want to challenge us in this. What is our response to the Word of God? How is God transforming us? How are we choosing to interact with the Lord through His Word, And as a result, we're being transformed in our lives. We're being renewed in our minds. And we're learning to walk by faith by the Holy Spirit. And in the outflow of that, we begin to walk in ministry and service to Christ. Wherever we go, no matter who we're with, no matter where we are, we have the opportunity of revealing the glory of God in and through our lives. The love of Christ through our lives. How are we responding to the Word of God? I want to give you a pattern of what's going on in these three cities, and I think it's, it's just paramount to the story. Paul normally, when he would go into a city, would go right to the synagogue. We saw in Philippi that there wasn't a synagogue, so he went, he went to the river, he met Lydia, shared Christ with them. Lydia uh, came to know the Lord along with her household. And then we know the story of how he was walking through the city and uh, the demonically possessed girl was chasing after them. And, and Paul casts out this demon. They are falsely accused. And in the midst of that, they are beaten. they're beaten. They're, they're in prison. And the Lord miraculously saves them out of prison. But also we have this interaction. We have this meeting with the jailer. Who asks the profound question? We've looked at it the last couple weeks. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's succinct answer is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. What a beautiful truth. He's saved, his household is saved, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this pattern take place over and over again. They share the word of God. They go to the synagogue. There are those who believe, including some of the the God-fearing Gentiles. There are Jews who come to know Christ. There are Gentiles who come to know Christ. There's a reaction. There's a reaction out of this, either from the Jews who are bitter or jealous. There's a stirring up of things, whether it's through a mob. There are reactions from unbelievers in the midst of the circumstances of the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. And normally, if you look at this closely, there's three different ways that this reaction takes place. There's threats that begin to be made. The first is a threat to society. What they're preaching, this gospel that they're preaching, is actually a threat to society. They make this accusation. You can see that in chapter 16, verses 20 through 21. and chapter 17, verses 6 through 7. You can see it in two ways. There's there's a citizenship issue. There's power or influence being brought to bear here. The gospel is being proclaimed. People are coming to know Christ. And as a result, there's an attack concerning society. There's a threat to our citizenship. Particularly in Philippi, you can see this, because they had been given a special status in in the Roman world. And they didn't want to lose that special status. Or perhaps the threat to society goes along the lines of, well, they they are worshiping another king than Caesar, i.e. they're lawbreakers. Now that's false, that's not true, but that was the charge brought against them. A second way of of trying to quiet the gospel dispel Paul and Silas and the team was that this was a financial threat we saw that in the the guys that owned this slave girl they had lost the ability to make any money we see it in Thessalonica where they go to the market and they stir up wicked men from the market and ultimately in Berea where the Thessalonians uh, send people to Berea in order to try to put out the message of the gospel. In the midst of that, there's a financial threat. When when the gospel's proclaimed and people's lives are changed, it changes our behavior. And it impacts all the way to even how we make money, how we view money, cannot serve two masters, God and mammon at the same time. You you one or the other. And so it changes things. You can see that all through. The book of Acts. Lastly, there's a cultural threat. Well, they're Jews and they're telling us to to do certain things that as Romans we don't do. So you can see this pattern, right? They go to the synagogue or in Philippi, they went to the river. There's those who believe, there's a reaction out of this because of the gospel. And then lastly, there's persecution. There's persecution. Suddenly, Paul and Silas find themselves in Philippi being beaten, or in Thessalonica they've got to flee. In Berea they've got to get on a ship and get to Athens. They're out of there. Look, when we are individuals who are yielding our lives to Christ when we're growing in Christ, when we are intentional about getting into the Word of God and the Word of God begins to transform us and our minds are renewed When we grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and we are walking with Him, being led by the Spirit of God, and all of a sudden that joy, that love that God alone is able to produce in and through our lives begins to spill out into all the different areas and facets of our life. People begin to notice and There are going to be some that respond because they recognize that they need the Lord. And there are going to be others that want to try to put it out because they want to be justified in and of themselves by their own works before God. Don't get caught off guard with that. We see this in these three cities. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I'm sure you know this verse well. He says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we share the word of God, when the word of God is transforming us, the word of God cuts right through all, all the stuff that we try to try to blockade, fool God with. When the word of God is being proclaimed, when, when we're, t- we're preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel of grace, And the word of God goes out, sounds forth from us. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. God uses his word in order to pierce right into the hearts of individuals. The question is, are we being changed? How are we responding to the word of God? How are we listening to what God has for us? Are we learning to walk with him? Are we learning step by step to say yes to him, to respond to him? Are we being transformed? Are we being renewed in our minds? In verse 32 of chapter 16, Paul's in Philippi, and I love this verse because he tells him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he also adds, you and your household. In other words, all of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will also be saved. But in verse 32, he goes right into the idea that he spoke the word of the Lord to them. They they go to his house and he begins to proclaim to them the word of the Lord. And what's the response? One of the responses is joy. Joy. The word joy here is fascinating because it's not your normal word for joy. It has the idea of skipping or leaping or rejoicing with song and praise. The picture I get in my mind is there they are. Paul and Silas have been beaten. They begin to preach the word of God to this family, this jailer who's made this tremendous statement. The jailer begins to clean them up and he begins to take them afterwards. After preaching the word to them, they go down to the river. They're baptized, indicating that they have believed. And there's joy. They're sitting around the table and this man is overflowing. He can't hold it in. He's ecstatic. You know, sometimes (laughs) I wonder where the joy is. Here we are. We're believers. We know the Lord. We have a walk with God. We have the opportunity to meet with him every day. There's never a moment where, if we're believers, that we're separated from the love of Christ. And sometimes we forget and somebody like this jailer comes along and we see how God has freed them, how God has taken their lives and saved them and they've been changed and their, their joy from God begins to spill out and it blesses us because we get to say, oh man, that's sweet. I remember when the Lord did this for me. Joy. Well, verses 35 through 40 It's kind of an interesting passage in how they depart from Philippi. The magistrates are a little bit embarrassed, (laughs) to put it mildly. They actually know that they're a little bit in trouble because they had done something illegal. They had punished Paul and Silas, even though they were Roman citizens, they had punished them without a trial. And so what was done to Paul and Silas could have technically been done to them. And so they want them to leave quietly. The jailer comes to, to Paul and Silas and says, hey, they, they want to come uh, to you. Yeah, and they, they, well, they want you to leave. They want you to just get out of town. And Paul says, no way. They did this in public. They're going to they're gonna exonerate us and they're going to have us leave in public. Now, why did he do that? Was it for Paul's sake? Was it so he could say, look, everybody, I, I didn't do this. No, I think he he did it very specifically because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't want this fledgling church to be put in a position where they were being tied together with the idea that they came out of lawbreakers, that there was somehow something wrong with their message, that Paul and Silas had done something illegal, That stirred it up. They wanted to make sure that the gospel was not going to be hindered, that the saints would not be diminished in their capacity to share Christ with others, that Lydia and her household and the jailer and his household would be able to share the good news and the testimonies that they now had in Christ Jesus. If you look back at verses 20 and 21, it's interesting what had been charged of them. It says, these men are throwing our city into confusion being Jews and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. So that threat that somehow Lydia and this jailer and their households, this fledgling church, these young believers, would be tied together with that false charge Paul wants to make sure is not laid upon them. And so they publicly come down. And they leave publicly. He goes to Lydia's house, encourages them, and then moves on. He goes to Thessalonica. When he gets to Thessalonica, we can see this pattern immediately. What does he do? He goes right to the synagogue. And what does he do? Just like in Philippi, he begins to share the word of God with Lydia or with the jailer. He goes to the house. He begins to speak the word of God. Here he goes to the synagogue, and he immediately begins to teach the word concerning Christ. In fact, in verse 2, it says that he reasoned with them from Scripture, explaining and giving evidence that Jesus is the Christ. There, There are three terms that are used here that I think are important because it indicates what the speaking of the Word of God is all about, at least in these contexts. He's on a missionary journey. When we're interacting with people that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we to do? He says he reasoned with them. Uh, That has the idea that he wasn't just telling them. It's that he was speaking with them, but it was a dialogue. He was engaging them. He was asking them questions. They were asking. They were answering. He was asking. He was answering. They were dialoguing. Who is this Jesus? And what was he doing? He was doing it from the scripture. He was taking the Old Testament and he was showing them the prophecies concerning the Christ. It says he was explaining, literally means helping them to see something, bringing something to light that maybe they hadn't recognized before. They didn't understand it. And so he was bringing it to them and he was showing them in the scripture. This is what the word of God says. This is what has happened. And it says he was giving them evidence, he was giving them his own testimony. He was sharing with them what the Lord had gone through. And he himself had witnessed the Lord on the road to Damascus. So he's giving them evidence. He was sharing his testimony. So in all of these things, he is speaking the word of God to them. He is proclaiming the word of God to them. He's dialoguing. He's engaging them. He's giving them evidence. He's helping them to see something that perhaps they hadn't seen before. Folks, I think that's what witnessing is really all about. We have an opportunity to give an account for the hope that is within us when people come to us and they see that there's something different about us because we're being transformed by Christ. And they understand it's not just a religion. It's not just a bunch of rules and, and, and regulations. We're doing what we do because we love the Lord and he loves us. And, and there's something different about us. They experience God's love through us. They see his joy in us. When they come to us, what are we to do? We're, we're to engage them. We're to share the word of God with them. This is what God's word says. Can I, can I be of service to you to help show you something that perhaps you haven't understood before? Can I share with you my testimony and how God has been at work in my life, how I've experienced the Lord? And not just 40 years ago, perhaps today, how I experienced the Lord. Well, some believe, and this is the pattern. They go to the synagogue, they share the word of God, and some believe. In Acts chapter 17, verse 4, he says, Some of them were persuaded That word persuaded means that they recognized something about what these guys were saying. And they agreed. Ultimately, it's the root word for belief. They joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So there's a whole group of, of Jewish individuals that come to Christ there are those who are God-fearing Greece. You go back to Cornelius. We've seen this all along. We've seen this in Philippi, where Lydia is a God-fearer. They had a sensitivity to the things of God. God was at work in their lives. And when the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is proclaimed to them, uh, they recognize the truth of it, and they believe. And a number of the leading women in the town as well. I think it's interesting. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes to them, And he comments on this particular moment where they they have believed. They've come to the Lord. They have received Christ. They're now part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. He says, "...you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit." So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia, in Achaia. What a beautiful truth. They recognized the truth of Paul and Silas' life and Timothy and Luke and the others that were there. They recognized the truth of, of the word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word. And in spite of the tribulation that was going on around, They believed. They received from the Lord the salvation that the Lord has provided. Well, there's a reaction. Verses 5 through 9, back in chapter 17 of Acts, the Jews become jealous. They stir up wicked men from the marketplace, they form a mob, they create confusion in the city. <laughs> wow. Folks, I'll tell you, the, the gospel's amazing. When you begin to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, there is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. You can't take the gospel of grace and add something to it in order to turn it into works. We saw that in the Council of Jerusalem earlier. The whole context of this trip is right out of the Council of Jerusalem, where there were those who wanted them to be circumcised in order to be saved, and then there were those who wanted them to be circumcised in order to prove their salvation. Folks, you add to grace, grace plus anything is no longer grace. And when we begin to proclaim that, we begin to proclaim the sufficiency of Christ alone for salvation, believing in Him. Alone, nothing to do, no way to pay back, changes things. Changes things. Our flesh loves to be given works to do in order to be substantiated in and of ourselves before God. And there's no way to do that. Biblically, that cannot happen. The question is, <laughs> Are we proclaiming the gospel of God's grace? Is it being proclaimed through our lives? As God changes us and transforms us, the Jews become jealous. They stir this wicked crowd up. They create confusion, and then there's persecution. They go looking for Paul and Silas. We're going to get them. (laughs) I don't know what they were saying, and it wasn't in English. And here they go. They get to the house of Jason, they can't find Paul and Silas, so I guess Jason has to suffice. And they grab Jason, and they pull him before the magistrates. I think it's interesting because Jason was probably a kinsman. He was probably related to the Apostle Paul. Romans sixteen twenty one tells us, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius and Jason and Sospiter, my kinsman. My kinsman. Evidently, Jason was somehow related To the apostle Paul, which is why he was staying with them. They can't find Paul and Silas. They drag Jason in front of the magistrates, the authorities. And it says something interesting. It says that that Jason made a pledge with them. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't realize this. Did you? I don't know. When I tell you that I didn't know something, I mean, some of you will look at me like, What? You're a pastor. You're supposed to know everything. Please don't buy into that lie, okay? We learn, we grow. That word pledge literally has the idea that he paid a certain money in order to assure that something would take place. In this case, he paid a certain money. He made a pledge to make sure that the authorities understood that they were promising that Paul and Silas would not come back in to Thessalonica. They're going to get out of town and they're never coming back. Fascinating I don't know that Jason was necessarily wrong in that. I don't know what else he could have done. I think it's kind of funny because later on we find out that Paul didn't come back, but he sent Timothy <laughs> that bond, that pledge, that agreement didn't relate to other people, and so he sent others that he trusted in order to proclaim the gospel. In first Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, we get a glimpse of what Paul thought about this pledge. Verse 17, he says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, we're we're praying for you, we're with you, we love you, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're part of the kingdom of God, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan did what? Hindered us. Hindered us. I think that's a direct reference To this pledge. Wasn't able to get back in. Couldn't be a part of this any longer. I'm praying for you. I'm with you in spirit. I wanted to come to you. But I was hindered by Satan. Satan can hinder. Folks, we understand that we're in a war, right? We understand that we're in a spiritual war. We understand that Satan is a defeated foe. And so it's filtered through the the hands of the Lord first. But there is an enemy. Don't get caught off guard by that. There is persecution when we begin to share the gospel, when we begin to live according to God's ways, yielded and surrendered to him. Well, Paul gets out of town. They make sure about that. And on the way, they go to Berea. They start the process all over again. They go to the synagogue. And again, some believe. But what's said about the Bereans here, I think, is very notable. Look at verses 11 through 12 in Acts 17. He says, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Noble-minded normally had the idea of uh, their status in society. They were of a higher class within society. But here he's very clear about what noble is referring to. It's, It's their minds. And he's referring to the fact that they were open to the gospel. They were open to scripture in a way that the Thessalonians had not been. And if you read the, the passages in 1 in, uh, Thessalonians about how Paul felt about the Thessalonian believers, it's remarkable. What he says about them, how he embraces them, how he thanks them, how he encourages them for responding to the word of God. So that just shows that even more so the Bereans were this way. They were open to what the Word of God has to say. And he gives us a specific reason why he's saying they were more noble-minded. He says, for, for this reason, here's the reason why Luke is writing what he's writing. They received the Word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. They were in the word of God. They wanted to see, is what Paul's saying true? And they didn't just come once a week. They didn't just come on Sabbath, on Saturday. Well, we'll meet with you next week. Remember, that's what the Thessalonians did. They, They were reasoned with for three Sabbaths. What did they do? They said, do what? Wow, that's interesting. Hey, hey, can can we meet tomorrow? Can can we come tomorrow? Can we? Is it okay if can we discuss the word of God with you, Paul, Silas? Can we do that? (laughs) Can you imagine Paul and Silas looking at each other like, "Are you serious? You asking us that? Let's go! Come on!" And they all got together. And the next day, whoa, that was Paul. That was amazing. I didn't know that about Isaiah. Can you help us with that? Can we meet again tomorrow about this? We really want to see this. Hey, hey, saucepitter, come over here. Uh, What what was that? What did that say? Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Man, that was incredible. Hey, Paul, what is this? What are you talking about? Hey, what about this prophecy? Can you see it? Great eagerness. They want to go and get into the word of God. And he says they were more noble minded because they were with great eagerness. Began to receive the word of God. They examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. As a result of their examination of scripture, they were persuaded they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't personality that got them to Christ. It wasn't for any other reason than the word of God. They looked at the word of God. It lined up with what Paul and Silas had to say. They made sure that what Paul and Silas were saying was true according to the word of God. And they believed. Oh. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Folks, don't buy into everything you listen to. Don't buy into everything you listen to. We've, we've got amazing media in our country today. TV, radio, you can jump on the internet, listen to podcasts. You can do video uh, casts on, on the internet. You can literally Google any sermon that just about anybody of any note has has, uh, preached. Examine the scriptures. Discern. Is this really from the Lord? Does this line up with what the Word of God has to say? Is this really what God's Word is proclaiming and declaring? Should I buy into this? Should I really believe this? Listen, but learn To decipher with discernment through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Well, what happens? There's a reaction, right? But this time, it's not from Berea. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened. Maybe there was a little bit of a, a, a sneaky guy who's listening to what Paul and Silas had to say. And he decides to run back to Thessalonica and tell them, hey, these guys that were here are now in Berea. Would you come and do something about them? We don't know. But one way or the other, we know that they came from Thessalonica. The Jews came from Thessalonica to Berea. And again, they stir the crowds up. There's a reaction. And again, we have persecution. Beginning to take place. Sometimes persecution comes in the form of what we saw in Philippi, where they're beaten. Sometimes it's in the form of what we saw in Thessalonica, uh, where Jason is brought before and suddenly their their rights are limited as a result. And sometimes it's they got to get out of town. They put him on a ship, Paul, and they send him to Athens, where Paul goes right to the synagogue. (laughs) Isn't it great? I mean, is this guy amazing or what? It's incredible. Just kept on proclaiming the gospel, kept on preaching the gospel, the good news. Why? Because he believed in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew where he was headed, and he trusted the Lord with that. Several things out of this. Making disciples involves each of us knowing the word of God. All of us are commanded to make disciples. And and discipleship is is, is an amazing word. It's been used in all kinds of ways, some right, some wrong. There's a lot of baggage with it. Making disciples is evangelism and equipping. Bringing someone to the cross as well as teaching them from the cross. Baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and teaching them. So we have this banner moment. Paul's obviously on a missions journey. This is the second one. He's going to places where there are some, the Jewish people, some who are God-fearers, who are aware of the Old Testament, who come on the Sabbath, and they begin to study scriptures. So he's able to engage them. There are some, like the jailer, probably didn't know anything about Judaism. He just knew he was lost. And in this moment of making disciples, we talk about Hoffmantown Church. What is the the purpose? What is the vision here? Why why are we doing what we do? It's because we want to make disciples. We want to see people come to know Christ as the Lord leads and as the Lord is the one who uh, guides us in that. As the Lord reveals himself through us into the community and into the things, I'm so blessed by those who are going and serving all over the world, even to the uttermost. In the midst of that, we also want to teach the body. We want to equip the body so that the body will begin to build itself up in love. That each person here has a particular part to play, a role to play within the body of Christ at Town Church. There's four things. First of all, know the word. Be like the Bereans where we examine the Word of God. Be intentional. Make a decision to get into the Word of God and and God through His Word will begin to teach us. We know that the Word of God is transformative to our lives. We know no matter what level of spiritual maturity we're at, even if it's somebody who doesn't know Christ, that the Word of God is absolutely essential in their lives in order to reveal what God has said. If you notice, Paul What did he do? He he taught the word. He didn't just teach it to people who were familiar with the word of God. He taught it to people who perhaps knew nothing about the word of God. As believers, we need to get into the word of God. We need to make a decision about that day by day, moment by moment. There's all kinds of ways to do that. But I want you to understand something. It's It's not just a head knowledge issue here. Can I encourage you in something? If you never know one Greek word, it's okay. It's all right. Because what we're really talking about is a relationship. What we're really talking about is experiencing God through his word. And God will use his word in order to do something within us. What does he do? Not only do we get into the word of God, we begin to experience God. God begins to renew our minds. God begins to transform our lives. We begin to understand the will of God. We begin to understand what it means to walk with the Lord. We know that we're in Christ, like Ephesians, he talks about that. We know that we're in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. That's a done deal. But now, chapter four in Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy That you've been called into this walk with Christ. Walk with him in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. By faith, being persuaded daily, God is able. God is able. It's all about him. It's not about me. God begins to transform us. He begins to renew our lives. We begin to walk with him being led by the spirit of God. Our walk, we begin to walk with him. We, all of a sudden, we begin to sense, well, wait a minute. And, and, and it's according to the scripture, but the Holy Spirit in us begins to direct our thoughts it begins to direct even our prayer life and begins to direct what we do when we do it for why we do it. All those things begin to take place because God is actively engaged in our lives and we're actively engaged in learning to listen and to receive from him what he has for us. And then out of that, there's an outflow out of that. There's a willingness to begin to share the word of God. There's life transformation that's taking place that nobody can program and nobody can take credit for. And people begin to recognize, boy, there's a joy in you that where, where do you get that joy? Where's that love? Boy, Town Church, look how you love one another. That's amazing. We want to be a part of that family of faith. We want to be a part of that. And what do we do? Yeah, it's us. <laughs> Look at us. I mean, come on. No, no. What do we do? We say, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can I share with you why I have this hope? Can I engage in, with you in a conversation about the Word of God? Can I share with you something perhaps you haven't seen before? Can I help, help you understand my testimony, my witness, and what God's done in my life, what God is doing in my life? And in the midst of that, we have the opportunity to speak as the Lord leads, as he guides, as he directs from the outflow of what he's doing within us. Folks, are we about making disciples. And when I say that, I say, are we yielded to Christ? Is every area of our lives simply available to the Lord to be used in whatever way he chooses? Are we being intentional? Are we being transformed? Are we learning to walk by the Spirit's direction? And the outflow of our lives, the word of God is being proclaimed, sounded forth from us, so that those who have no hope begin to recognize there's hope because of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.